Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan and Amy continues now. And make sure to stay tuned to catch me, Mike Gallagher, coming up at 9, only on AM 560, The Answer. Good morning, Dan and Amy. And um, we've got um, other matters to talk about besides uh, that pertain to the yearbook police. You've got, obviously, your, your Brett Kavanaugh. Now you got your Ralph Northam. Here's one that popped up last week we haven't gotten to. It's a little bit oh, below the it? full, but it's relevant. She's a uh, nominee for the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals to replace the vacancy created by Kavanaugh's elevation in the Supreme Court. She was the uh, person in, who ran point on President Trump's deregulation efforts, uh, was the uh, head of the White House Office of Information and Regulatory Affairs. Her name is Naomi Rao. And she's being held up uh-huh. by Democrats in the Senate because because of, quote unquote, inflammatory op eds she wrote in college. Hey, uh-huh. never separate from your past. huh? Yeah. She uh, took a, a dim view in college of racial preferences in a piece that she wrote about uh, one of the great uh, economists of the last half century who happens to be black, Thomas Sowell. She also wrote that progressives preach college, but too, but, uh, too often don't practice it. Boy, that, <laughs> that's really a shocking statement. There's not much evidence to support that contention. Okay. Uh, and uh, so anyway, uh, this is an issue, too, for a nominee to the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals. For more on this topic, and then we'll talk a little bit of immigration policy and the Constitution as well, we're pleased to be joined again by our friend Randy Barnett. He is a law professor at Georgetown. He's also the author of the book, Our Republican Constitution, Securing the Liberty and Sovereignty of We the People. Randy, thanks for joining us. Appreciate it. Uh, nice to be here, Dan. Hi, Amy. Uh, what about uh, Naomi Rao and um, the prospects of her appointment to the D.C. Circuit and just the sort of the um, the uh, new uh, thresholds that must be cleared about your faith uh, as well as your yearbook photos and college writings? Well, I know Naomi very well. I've known her for a very long time, and uh, I think the world of her. She's uh, not only extremely smart, but she's a very, very good, sweet person, actually. So it's a shame what's happening to her. But I think you'll find that over the years, um, minority um, conservatives get treated far more harshly by Democrats than white males do. Um, They're prepared to let white males on the bench, but they sure don't want any minorities on the bench that that aren't uh, sort of on the plantation because they're, you know, uh, more dangerous and in line for higher uh, the higher court. So Naomi is uh, uh, Indian American and uh, uh, Patrick Bumate, who was kept off the Ninth Circuit by the California senators and is going to be nominated now for the district court. He was a uh, Filipino. uh, He is a Filipino uh, 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 gay man. Um, and uh, we all know what happened to Ms., uh, Miguel, Est- uh, Miguel Estrada. Yeah. Uh, this is just a pattern that we've seen. So you can expect, if you're a minority, that you're going to be treated, and especially and, and a woman, you're going to be treated, which is what Amy Barrett's problem is. She's a woman. Um, uh, you're going treat, to be treated far more harshly by Democrats than if you were a white male. Sure, it undermines the narrative. Um, so there's something else that's worth noting sort of in this topic area is the uh, soft bigotry of low expectations being advanced by the American Bar Association. A story out uh, this week that uh, they re- have rejected a proposal uh, last week. They rejected a proposal to require at least 75 percent of law students at accredited schools to pass the bar no later than two years after their graduation. The uh, 
argument made against it in the at the ABS House of Delegates meeting was that it would be unfair to institutions that serve minority students. Um, so, well, that may be that may be what they say. I've, I haven't studied this closely. I saw a headline or two about it. Uh, I have mixed feelings about it. It seems to me that uh, if you go to law school, it's on you to pass the bar. Um, and most people pass the bar by taking bar prep courses. Um, you don't take, you know, so therefore, you know, this gives people, I mean, to say they're going to close a law school because it gives people a chance who may be marginal um, and who then at the end of the day can't pass the bar is going to disadvantage all the people who do pass the bar, even from those law schools. Those law schools may have a very low bar passage rate compared to other law schools, but they still have a lot of people who pass the bar who get to be lawyers because they went to those law schools. So I have mixed feelings about uh, messing around with accreditation standards on the basis of that statistic. But it is, and that's a fair point, but it is noteworthy just to sort of indicate a mindset, and this is what Thomas Sowell, speaking of Thomas Sowell again, uh, wrote about an inside uh, higher, higher education 30 years ago, talking about putting people in positions where they can't succeed and then just changing the standards because you don't want to admit what you're doing is political. It's not, it's not merit-driven. Um, well, that's the mismatch theory, which I, I think there's some evidence for, and that is that by admitting students to schools that they are um, not as competitive with, they're, you're, you're more likely, they're more likely to fail than if they were admitted to schools where they were more competitive with the other students. I, I see mismatches in my, in, amongst my students sometimes, and they're not all, uh, they're not minorities either. There are other forms of admits that are mismatched for whatever reason. Um, and um, they do have a harder time. So um, that's, that is a, a well-known problem of, uh, of schools at the top sucking up students um, who might do much, much better if they went to schools just below the top. Yep. Now, last night, Governor Northam, moving over to Virginia and what's happening there, had a, an emergency meeting with, as he said, colored people from his administration. People of color. People of color. Excuse <laughs> Big me. difference. People of color. Well, I mean, whatever. He just said minorities in his administration because he's trying to hang on here. How long do you think that he's going to last? And will uh, why didn't his Gillespie use any opposition research and use this against him in the campaign? Um, I don't know. I mean, they deny they had the information. Of course, now they would do so. They would deny it if even if they had it. But So we don't <laughs> know if they had it or not. Um, and but you look, I, I going back to your opening setup here. I'm very uncomfortable with all this yearbook uh, prowling. Um, and and I, as bad, I mean, I don't think Brett Kavanaugh did anything wrong. I don't think his yearbook shows he did anything wrong. But in this case, I would say a yearbook does show that somebody did something wrong. But they did something wrong 30, 35 years ago. I mean, I just think it's just ridiculous to start disqualifying people or causing people to have to lose their jobs because they did something wrong, genuinely wrong, 35 years ago, that there's been no evidence since then that they have continued along that path. In fact, you know, all the evidence is to the contrary. So I just think this is a terribly, terribly dark road that we've gone beyond. I mean, you can be happy or you could be satisfied that the left that has been doing this is being hoisted by their own petard here or there. Yeah. But I don't think on balance that that's worth it. Yeah, and it's interesting you raised that. It was a good piece by Zaid Jelani at, at Colette uh, asking the question, why does Ralph Northam deserve no mercy? You know, partly because he gave none, and so he's not particularly sympathetic. But in terms of the larger issue, he raises the question, wait a second. 
uh, we talk about second chances for uh, convicted felons and we talk about criminal justice reform to give people a pathway back into civil society to be productive citizens, um, any rights. But when it comes to issues of racial offense, uh, they're, th- 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 these, these same people uh, are, say they are, you know, these people are demons in human form, incapable of reform, and so must be, must go. You had this case with the Florida Secretary of State where he resigned before even having to oh, do a press conference or face the firestorm, and now you've got, uh, you know, the left uh, circling Ralph Northam in addition to conservatives who are happy to see him go just because he's been well, part I- of the problem. But I can guarantee you that if there was not a Democratic lieutenant governor to step in and take Ralph Northam's place, the left would not be circling Ralph Northam today. Yeah, that's good a good point. point. Yeah. yeah, that's a good point. Well, the other thing, too, is if uh, if this had been um, uh, Gillespie who had uh, this yearbook photo in his background, do you think it would have been discovered during the campaign? Of course. Um, you know, the. People are, you know, the, I would think the left has been excellent at opposition research. They've been doing oppo research on prospective judicial nominees um, in advance. They have organizations that are funded to the tunes of tens of thousands, if not millions of dollars, set up to do this. Um, this is dark. This is all the dark money that Sheldon Whitehouse is so upset about um, that's doing this. And um, yeah, I think they would have. But you know, look, I, I just think this. I, I just keep coming back to the fact that nailing people because of what they did years and years ago, even if it was very wrong, um, uh, is just wrong. That is wrong. But I wish Northam would have come out, I mean, and, and not wish, but it would have been fruitful for him, I think, to come out and say exactly what you just said. But instead, I mean, he seems to enjoy the spotlight. That four-minute press conference was so bizarre. And he almost got out in front of the lectern and did the moonwalk. And if his wife hadn't stopped him, I think he would have done it, don't you? Well, his yeah, his big problem is that he said he was in the picture. He apologized for it, and the next day said it wasn't him. I mean, that's a that is a problem for Ralph Northam today. That's not a thirty-year-old problem. That's a problem from last week. That there seems to be a lack of um, truthfulness or, uh, and candor that's coming from the governor of Virginia, and that would be a character issue for today. But the the larger issue is that is that the approach to mob action from those in positions of power, authority, whether it's on a college campus or in public office, is to appease. Apologize, 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 appease, appease, appease. Please don't take me, take somebody else, rather than standing up to the mob. Who stands up to the mob? Um, Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, I think that because I think uh, most of the consultants that you go to when you're in trouble like this tell you that an apology is what you need to clear the air. And I think it oftentimes it does clear the air. Um, and the longer you hang out there without the apology, the worse it gets, sometimes for some people. But on the other hand, um, as you know, Dan, as you're just implying, there are some things that cannot be appeased. And you might just just as well just stand up and, 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 be, and be candid. I wanted to switch gears. we got the president of the United States giving a State of the Union address tomorrow night and um, uh, assuming no deal in place by then, which I think is a pretty safe assumption right now. That's going to be certainly a, a, a central topic. I don't think we've spoken to you, so I wanted to get you to weigh in on whether or not you think the president has emergency powers to redirect domestic resources to border security by declaring this you know, humanitarian crisis on the border. Is that something that is, in your estimation, within the presidential, within the executive's purview? Uh, 
Um, IBK, I don't know. Okay. Um, it, 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 because the reason I don't know is because I don't think there's anything inherent in the president's powers as a president. The question is, is there there are so many statutes on the books that give the president emergency powers to do this or that, that you really don't know the answer to these things unless you know all those statutes. What I have read about those statutes secondhand, and therefore I still don't know, um, is that they don't authorize this sort of thing. What they, anything they would authorize just is, is not, does not fit this circumstance. There are things he can do at the border as a result of emergencies, but actually building something like this and condemning land uh, under the takings clause, I mean, not under the takings clause, under the power of eminent domain is not something you can do. I, 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 but I don't know. So I just think it all, if Congress had, you know, hadn't delegated so many powers to the executive branch, we would know the answers to these questions when they arise far better than we do. Yeah, and what we do know, to your point, is if he does go down that path, it's sure to be litigated. He is Randy Barnett, Georgetown Law Professor. I'm sorry. It'll be enjoined. It'll be an injun- uh, there'll be an injunction right away. So right. That'll be that. Right. Randy Barnett, Georgetown Law Professor, author of the book, Our Republican Constitution, Securing the Liberty and Sovereignty of We the People. Randy, thanks as always for joining us. Appreciate it. Good to talk to you guys. Take care. And he joined us on our turnkey.pro answer line.